the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. And so Cyrus says, whoever wants, verse 3, whoever wants to go to Jerusalem and Judea can go to rebuild the house of the Lord God of Israel. I think it's finding interesting. He also says this. He is the God who was in Jerusalem. The reason he would say that is, they believed in those days that these city-states, okay, that there were, each major city, capital area, had its own god, all right? And that was the case in Nineveh when Jonah went to Nineveh. So we have our god up here in, in Babylon, in Sumer, the various palaces around the Babylonians. They each had their own gods, sort of like today when certain cities have a patron saint in certain parts of the world, Okay. So, so it's not like he's a converted to the God of Judaism. He says, wait a minute here. If I'm going to rule these people, I need another God on my side. So hey, if I go rebuild this temple in Jerusalem, that God will be on my side. Maybe I wouldn't have to send troops to Jerusalem to quell rebellions all the time, like Nebuchadnezzar and previous ones had. Okay, But whoever wants to go can go do this. Whoever stays, verse 4, you got to give an offering to help these people out. I know, you're maybe you're not called to go to Jerusalem and build. You're not a contractor guy. But if you're staying behind, you got to support the task. Now, I, I would imagine, though, out of the about 43,000 people that go with Zerubbabel, I imagine there's cooks, there's shepherds, there, right? you got to have, just like if the military goes to war, you have all these supply guys nobody sees on the front lines. Okay. So I would imagine it wasn't just contractors or builders, stone workers, and so on. I would imagine there was a bunch of other folk that did other things. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It does tell us out of each clan group how many people goes. That's chapter 2. So um, the Bible tells us that they gave generously to this task. Then, then Cyrus himself steps up and says, Hey, when Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem, he took the stuff out of the temple. Now, not all of it was there because some of the kings of Judah had sold off some of it to bribe these kings, other kings, to pay tribute. But what was there, Nebuchadnezzar hauls back. It's still in the treasury. We talked about those treasuries last week, the treasuries of Xerxes. And if you remember, one of them had $14 billion worth of gold and silver in it when it was ransacked by Alexander the Great. So these treasuries were pretty wealthy takes the articles that were in the temple that never connected and says, here you go, Zerubbabel, take them back. 
And we got this person that he gives them to in the text is Shezbazar, which is the Persian name of Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel means born in Babel or born in Babylon. I'm going to suggest to you, most likely of the around 43,000, none of them were probably born in Israel. Okay, Daniel's group, that first group, they're really old. And that final group, they're getting up there. It's possible. But I want you to understand, Zerubbabel, the lead person on this, has never seen his homeland. It's not like he has this great urge to go back home. He's never been there. But the Bible says that God stirs him up. We can see that in Ezekiel, in Haggai, all right? God stirs him up to do this thing. And later, matter of fact, when he gets back to Jerusalem and begins to build, some of the old timers that stayed there are looking at it, and they begin to weep because they just remember how great it was and the idea of having it built again. And then it tells us all these 5,400 pieces of different gold and silver things that was in the, the stuff that was taken by Nebuchadnezzar breaks that down. By the time we do that, we're done with chapter 1. Chapter 2, I am not reading it. And the people of this family, there was this many. And the people of this family, and there was this many. And the people of... The, I'm sure you don't want me to read that today. But if my calculations are right, 32,360, I might have missed some numbers in there because I wasn't worried about that being that accurate on it. I was sort of doing it real fast on the 10 key, as you know. That puts us in chapter 3. In chapter 3, it says this. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns and the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Now, again, we're going by their clock. This is around the next year, really, about 537. That edict had to go out, had to get translated, go out, and then they had this traveling to do to get there. And the first thing they do is build the altar. And they get, because Zerubbabel himself is of the priestly line, he can do sacrifices. And the first thing they do is do the sacrifices. Before we touch the house of God, there's got to be some repentance first. The sacrifice is given. They have to do this. Okay? You see that? Haggai says the same thing later. And we talked about Haggai at our annual meeting. Then by the time we get to verse 8, it says, Now in the second year after coming to the house of God, to Jerusalem, in the second month, that's how I know it's 536. Not just me, but a whole bunch of scholars who are brighter than me. They started working on the temple laid its foundation. That's chapter 3, verse 8. So these dates you see on here, they're not just random picked. We're looking at the text to determine these dates. They start the temple there. The problem is he comes in, everybody's excited, we've got this offering, we got this stuff, we've built the altar, we've, had our, we've done our, the thing that we should do as far as the covenant of God goes with the altar, and they're going to start building, they laid a foundation, and then these Assyrian, intermarried Assyrians that are from the northern kingdom. I'm going to back up on you again. So if you remember, when the kingdom split apart, okay, the temple is in Jerusalem, but the king in the northern kingdom called Israel says, wait a minute, if I let these people go down to Jerusalem to worship, they might not come back. So he sets up his own temple and has pagan gods there. So these folks that are Jewish Assyrian descent, they believe, have been practicing now that this 
worship is in the northern kingdom. When Jesus comes to the woman at the well, if you don't know the story, that's okay, you can look it up. And he's speaking to this woman, she's Samaritan. And Jesus says, you think it's about where you worship. Remember that? But if you knew who was asking for some water, you'd be asking him because you're missing it. <clears throat> okay? So even by the Jesus' day, you still had this separate worship going on. Well, these group of people wanting to stop it, why? Because they worship up here. And you know what? If you don't worship like me, you can't do it. You know, we sing hymns, so you must not be right. Or we don't sing hymns. We sing the other things off the screen, so the hymn people must be wrong. We don't ever do that today, do we? Oh, I, I was just Well, we don't clap our hands. We clap our hands. We raise our hands. We don't raise our hands. We, we do similar things today. But they worship up here in this way. They want to stop this, and they're pretty smart. They just don't go, stop it. Hey, um, can we help? It's sort of like, how many ever seen the movie Schindler's List? Oof, yeah, rough movie, okay? But remember, he made things for the Nazis. And one of the things, they sort of sabotaged some of the stuff. Because they were working for the Nazis, okay? Zerubbabel's pretty smart here. <laughs> I'm having you help me. You're going you're gonna to sabotage the process if you help me. He was smart enough to see that. But here's the point. He's been called by God, and now he's got opposition. We'll, we'll come back to that. So these people, since they don't get to be a part of it and mess up, they start bribing people to lie about what they're doing. And it discouraged the people. And eventually, there's a letter written to King Artaxerxes saying these guys are trying to rebuild the city so they can rebel. Okay? So these guys, their first tactic doesn't work, and they start to bribe. And it all falls apart. And for about 70 years, nothing else happens after the foundation. Now, how many of you have seen the Wailing Wall? Have you ever seen those pictures? Okay. If you go underneath there, they have foundation stones. And I'm trying to remember... I watched in a particular thing where they went down with lasers, okay, and mapped these stones underneath. They know the quarries they came from. But I, I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was well over, okay, 100,000 tons. It took some work to lay those foundation stones. So this wasn't guys cutting up some little rocks, putting them down. You put your rock on my rock. This was a massive undertaking. Now, those stones that we see under... The Wailing Wall, many people think it might have been put there by Herod when he built the temple. But the point is, to hold up that much building, they were massive stones. When they rebuilt the Twin Towers in New York, they dug deep. Okay, and you put in massive amounts of concrete. They had to do the same in those days uh, to do that. But the point is, for 70 years, nothing gets done. We'll pick up on that end of that 70 when we, after we go to Esther, okay? Because that's the time of Xerxes and that's where the story of Esther. So next week we should be in Esther. So don't, don't, don't read ahead in Ezra and go, Pastor, you didn't, I'm trying to give it chronologically for you. But this is a great story. Nice story, Pastor. That's cool. Now I know. What good does it do me? Well, first things first, as you heard me talk to the kids, not everybody went. Those who were moved by God went. Those who weren't supported those who were moved by God. Okay? We do the same thing in the sense that we support missionaries. You're all not called to be a missionary. You're not called necessarily to travel and spend a month with me over there or something like that. Okay, 
but we are called to support those in their things as much as those who are called to tear these chairs down, break them apart, put the sound away, and all of that. We should support them. But even King Cyrus understood that's the way it was supposed to work. Okay, He didn't have all the Old Testament law to work on that. Too often, I think, we want to compare. Okay, so, so we have some folks in our church, they're prayer people. You walk by them and you say, you know, pray for it. They'll go, yeah, hallelujah. No, they'll, they'll, right there, they'll pray on the spot. Somebody asks you to pray, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then you feel guilty because you're not like them. Well, you should keep your word and pray for them, of course, privately, all right. But you don't compare the way you pray to the way they pray. Not everybody has that didactic kind of mind thinking like I do, and i got to remember that, okay? So, so that is that process, logical, step-by-step, academic thing I do in Bible studies, okay? My wife's just going right over, no, I don't, how, what does it mean to me now, okay? She doesn't have to be me in her Bible study. Now, I do suggest you get, the, the, get yourself equipped to be able to look at the text. Exegete, that is, let the text tell you what to say, not you say under the text. I think you should learn that skill. But we're not all the same. We don't have the same gifts. Read Corinthians chapter 12, okay? Romans chapter 12. Read those. We all don't have the same gifts. Some people, Paul puts it this way. Somebody's an armpit. Some, no, that's me. He says, an eye, a hand, Right? That's what he says. And, and what if everybody tried to be an eye? How would that work out for you? If everybody was a hand, tried to be a hand, how would that work out in the body of Christ? So, so that is even seen here. And the reason I want to say that is we tend to put guilt on ourselves because we don't have, I'll, I'll call them the public type gifts and callings. Okay, the thing that you see up front of everybody. There, you know, there's somebody that cleans this building, cleans those toilets. Mops the floor. Changes the light bulb. You don't even see them. Try to have church without them. Starts to stink. That's the first thing. The second thing, I'm going to jump to you to the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. Jesus talks about this sower that goes out in the field and sows seed. You remember? And some falls on the path, the rocky soil, some the weedy. Remember that? Anybody remember that? Okay. And Jesus himself gives the interpretation of that. And he talks about the birds that come and steal the seed. He, Jesus himself said, the Lord is the sower. The seed is the word. Y'all are the different types of ground. And one of them, it's cast to the right place, but the birds come and steal the seed. Jesus says this, that's the enemy. Satan comes and steals the word. It happens over and over and over and over in Scripture. Did God really say? I know God said this, but let me cast doubt on what God said. Jesus himself at his baptism Holy Spirit, like a dove, remember? Voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Look at the first temptations of Christ. If you are the son of God, that trying to get even Jesus himself to doubt the word that was given to him. When God calls you to do something, I'm telling you, Satan will step into it every time, try to convince you otherwise. 
No, I'm not saying he's going to come to you and speak to you like he did Christ or like he did Eve, but he might come to you in circumstances. Some reason we think if God's called us to do something, it's all going to work out peachy. It's going to be a smooth road. Uh-uh. Satan ain't going to let that happen. And that's the same as Zerubbabel. He's got the backing of the king. He's got a letter in his hand. But the bad guys come along and convince him, well, maybe you're really not cut out for this. Maybe that's not really what you... Matter of fact, they start spreading rumors about this isn't what they're here to do. Get them to doubt what God had spoke to them. I'll guarantee you this. I'll guarantee you this. God's leading me to help set up chairs. I'm just, I'm not trying to pitch that, but I'll just use chairs. And you know what? I'll do it next week. I'll be here, Robert. I'll come set up chairs. And that's the night, Saturday night, you can't sleep a wink. You fall asleep about six and the alarm goes off at eight. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. We don't judge God's plan and purpose by circumstances. We don't pick churches by circumstances. I'm going to meddle a little bit. Can I do that? We shouldn't be picking our spouses that way. Our jobs that way. Where we live that way. I'm not going in anyway. Don't let circumstances guide you in what God has for you. Use the word of God. Uh, I'm not, I don't have time to break all that down today. I do a whole other thing on that. Okay? But the enemy will come try to steal from you that thing that God has said to you. That promise he's made. He's made a promise. 70 years. They're going to go back and rebuild the temple. Here I am hammering away. building. Oh, well, we got opposition. I, well, I guess not. God gave a word. Ready? Let me give you another one. Hey, guys. Um... Go to the other side of the sea. I'll meet you there. Then a storm comes. We're all going to die. Oh, you a little faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word God said. If God said you're going to the other side, guess what? You're going to the other side. I didn't say you might be swimming when you get there. But they ran into adversity on a simple thing like that. Jesus had just fed thousands they have watched food multiply. And he says, go to the other side. They get a storm. We're all going to die. It is Satan's tactic to steal the word of God from you. So when you go to sit down to read it tomorrow morning and your mind wonders, the things, the bills, the news, whatever it is, he wants to come and keep and steal that from you. So you starve to death. Your spirit starves to death without the word. Enemy will do anything to keep you from that word of God and keep you from believing it. I've hounded that horse. The other thing is we too often allow the context, the situation, to justify underachievement in the kingdom. Well, you know, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not picking on the senior folks today, but I hear it often from senior folks. Uh, if I'm talking about calling and purpose, well, back when... We, the couple, we really felt called to. What happened? Why aren't you doing that? Well, let me tell you about the situation. God doesn't change his mind like that, folks. You know how many guys in the Bible are old when God uses them? I mean, you, got, you have your Davids in there. But Joshua was at least 80 by the time he conquers Jericho. 
Moses is there. Abraham's there. Just because you've got some gray on top doesn't mean you get to give up on the thing God's called you to. Don't allow those circumstances to cause you to give up on what God's called you to do. Then the final one, and the really important application at this point. Why did God do this? Why when they aren't keeping the covenant, when they're not obeying God, that was He promised to restore them anyway? Mercy and grace. That's what it is. God doesn't owe Zerubbabel or any of those others. He doesn't owe them anything. They haven't done something so special in their personal lives. They were so holy that, well, geez, I better bring them back to Jerusalem then because they deserve it. No, they don't. Especially when you realize only about 43,000 went. A whole lot of others didn't. God's kindness, his loving kindness, and his grace is why he blesses you. Not because you show up to church every Sunday, you give so much in the offering, or you help set up chairs. It's simply because of his mercy and grace. That is the theme. That is the story of the cross. God doesn't judge me, give me what I deserve, mercy. Instead, he puts it upon Christ. Grace gives me what I can never earn. That is the righteousness of Christ is given back to me. Do I deserve that? No. He promised he would. He said he would. Those he predestined already, right? Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. I think sometimes when we lose track of that, here we are building the temple, and we recognize we're here by God's grace, by God's mercy. And then when the opposition comes, we lose track of that. Wait a minute. If I'm here to start with by God's mercy and grace, guess what's going to keep me going? Mercy and grace. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he has a thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical thing, and what I would imagine would keep him, would disturb him at times when he's traveling all over Asia Minor on those missionary trips, whatever that physical thing is, brings him adversity in the process, and he prays three times to God. Remember? Take this from me. What God say? Uh Uh-uh. That's my paraphrase. No. My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient for what? Sufficient enough to keep you going in what I've called you to do, Paul, even though you have this physical thing, even though you have a fusion in your back, even though you can't hear out of one ear, even though you can't. His grace will keep you in what he's called you to do because it's grace that got you there to begin with. The gifts you're using, the abilities you have. Zerubbabel is called the prince of Judah. He's the governor. He was assigned this job. Why? Because he was special grace of God. He's given you what you need to accomplish the task. Don't let the enemy come along and lie to you and convince you this. His grace has been removed. Oh, there are people who preach that. Or you don't do enough of this, or you don't know enough of that, you lose it. Okay? God's the one that empowers you to live godly, to move forward in sanctification, to do those things that he's called you to do, to show up at church this morning. Now, I'm the pastor. I know I'm not supposed to feel with it, but there's some Sundays I don't want to get out of bed. For whatever reason. Maybe I didn't sleep the night before. Okay? Or aches and pains because I worked in the garden. Whatever it is. 
It's God's grace, and I call upon it every time I get up here in front of you. That song we sing sometimes, uh, I Need You. Man, that ministers me because I walk in this, up into this pulpit. Guess what, Robert? I need him. The first time I ever preached, Kim, Kim could tell you more about it than I can, 1983, I don't remember that much because I was a nervous wreck. All right? I had never and spoken in front of people ever before in my life. The same grace that got me up there in 1983 is the same grace that gets me here now. It's the same grace that keeps me going when y'all aren't behaving right. No, I know you always do. That grace will keep me going. It's God's grace that'll keep you going. It's not anything in you. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't read my Bible the way I should, or I just can't do it. I'm, I'm unable. You, wait a minute. I don't, you don't need God's call for that one. That's right out of the Word. You should be in His Word. Read Psalms 119 which some argue might be written by Ezra because of what he does when he calls the people to the word. Let's stand. Now we talked earlier before the kids about how God is holy, he's perfect, he's complete, and how we run short of that. How do we even enter into his presence, enter into relationship with a perfect, holy, almighty God? Mercy and grace. That's it. Okay? He doesn't punish me. I recognize that that punishment I do deserve. And I repent of that sin and the punishment I deserve. And I receive the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. That's how I entered that. The same way I live this life daily, by grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your abundant mercy and your grace. Lord, we recognize today that the enemy is going to come. When we walk out this door today, the enemy will try to steal this word. Probably through circumstances. God, I pray that you, you weld it into our heart and our mind this word today, that your grace will keep us. It is sufficient. And we don't have to let the surroundings discourage us from what you have set before us to do. God, we also recognize this. You called Zerubbabel and those people, not so they can have their name written in a book. You did it that you might receive all the glory and all the praise. And that's why we ask in this prayer, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.